Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, very pleasant. Uh, good afternoon to you. It's around noon Central Time on Tuesday, the 6th of September. We are recording this conversation with Dr. Mark Bailey on Monday afternoon, about 4 o'clock, because he lives down in New Zealand, where it's like crazy 9 o'clock in the morning, and it's 4 o'clock here, and it's tomorrow morning. So, you know, what's up with that? So please hold your calls and your emails for now, and um, we'll have a nice show. Mark Bailey is a, is a good man. He is the... Uh, uh, the wife, or the I'm sorry, the husband of Samantha Bailey, who's adorable, and she's very cool. She was on the show a couple of times, and uh, Mark uh, has, has uh, won his undergraduate uh, scholarship to the University of Canterbury in 1994. He then completed medical training at the University of uh, Otago in 99. He worked in many specialties as a resident doctor, and he also clinical trials research physician for several years, he got a bit disenchanted if you, with the medical profession, uh, holistic, allopathic, and then he co-authored a book, COVID-19, Fraud and War on Humanity, published uh, this past November. He's in New Zealand with his wife and three, three boys. I mean, you, you, should get a, you should get a medal just for that, three boys. I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for having me on, Patrick. Yes, sir. But yeah, yeah. No, as you say, it's, uh, I'm married to the wonderful Dr. Sam, and we have three super healthy, robust boys together who yeah. are absolutely thriving. Yeah. So d- despite the madness going on in the world and our household, we can't complain. It's all happy and healthy. That's great. And I was just talking to you, excuse me, off air, where in New Zealand, excuse me, Got a little thing going. Um, there's so much wide sp- open spaces that it's pretty, you were saying it's pretty um, easy to kind of do your own thing and live in a different reality uh, separate from the from the crazy land. Yeah, well, it's, it is. It's a small country, just over 5 million people, so wow. comparable to wow. a, a U.S. city size, really. But we do have a, a pretty big... Um, bit of land obviously and uh yeah you can new zealand's a funny country it's uh, on many accounts probably compared to what you're used to in texas it's a fairly socialist country but in saying that it's quite easy to find your own space mm-hmm. and do your own thing mm-hmm. and a lot of the time you can be left alone like say for the last two and a half years despite all the madness going on our household has been relatively free of the craziness we you know they bring out these mandates whether it's face masks or restrictions on gatherings and all that kind of thing but uh it's actually it's pretty easy to get around it and you uh, just don't do it huh? huge com- you just don't do it you just don't do it <laughs> no and there's huge communities in new zealand like uh, hundreds of thousands of people that mm-hmm. have really just been doing their own thing for a couple of years so yeah. no it's the um yeah it's it's to be honest it's you know, you're a little bit isolated in New Zealand and it is hard to go anywhere else. But at the same time, if you, um, you know, if you want to, you can still live relatively freely. Mm-hmm. Is it true that there's more sheep in New Zealand than people? I mean, is that true? Or did somebody just make that up? 
Yeah, <laughs> uh, sheep farming's been on the decline a wee bit. I, I can tell you, there's definitely more possums than than <laughs> okay. people that are everywhere, and they're not so welcome here. They're they're a bit of a pest, and they go around destroying uh-huh. all the plants. But yeah, we still have a lot of sheep, uh, a lot of cows. It's uh, despite the efforts of the the globalists to shut things down, we're still you know dairy and um, farming is still mm-hmm. one of our primary industries. So mm-hmm. it's still it's still going pretty strong despite their best efforts to stop it. Mm. And how old are your boys? The oldest is eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one's nine, and the youngest he's just he turned one last week. So I'll be in that fun. He's a real youngster. Yeah. Uh, the plan was we were we always thought we'd have two kids, yeah. and then. In 2020, Sam said, well, let's start having some more kids again. So let's do that. Sure, we'll be back for another round. <laughs> do you homeschool? We have um, before. The boys have been homeschooled. But uh, at the moment, they're at a small private Christian school. Oh, cool. And uh, it's, uh, it's been... It's been pretty good. Like it hasn't had the degree of madness that a lot of the other mainstream schools mm-hmm. uh, have been putting their kids through in the last two years. Uh, but to be honest, uh, we're sort of getting to the point where uh, the boys they, they may come home soon again. I think yeah. for more homeschooling because there's just, I mean, I don't have to tell you. There's enough crazy kind of narratives that are slipping into the schools, okay. not just regard to the fraudulent COVID-19 situation, but mm-hmm. all sorts of uh, woke ideology. Yeah. And, uh, it's yeah. just no, no good for the kids. So, uh, so no, I think um, we're actually looking to move to a small farm. So if we oh. do that, yeah, the boys will certainly come home uh, and, and help us out running the, the little farm. So uh-huh. we'll, we'll see how we go with that. We're just, just on the hunt at the moment. Well, you have uh, animals and the farm. you and do you all eat animals? You're carnivorous? Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, we definitely have animals. So uh, we grew up with a family block, a small farm, and that uh, was just about an hour's drive from Christchurch, where we live. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we grew up with sheep and cows, and uh, that would definitely be the plan. I mean, you've got to have uh, something to keep the, the grass down. And uh, I don't want to get a a lawnmower it takes me a week to, to get all that grass down it's better to have some cows mm-hmm. roaming around so yeah no the plan would be cows uh chickens maybe some pigs uh we'll just see how it goes mm-hmm. but certainly uh a nice orchard and uh, vegetable garden as well so do you think animal foods are a species appropriate for humans i do yeah uh it's just i mean i think it's up to the individual sure. and and I know people get pretty um, uppity sometimes on, on both sides of the, the camp. And uh, But for, for us, we've had a lot of success in our family for many generations, uh, you know, uh, having dairy products and, and eggs and eating meat. But mm-hmm. look, I, compl- I have some of my closest friends, they don't eat meat at all. And uh, do okay. we get along just fine. Yeah, you get along we can even sit down and eat food together. So, <laughs> yeah. What, what about yourself? Uh, uh, pretty much, what's your diet? I, I just I started doing a carnivore thing, Mark. Thanks for asking. About three and a half months ago, so I'm pretty much just meat and eggs and butter. So I'm just going to see how that works. But I like it so far. You know, I like it. Just a lot of meat. You know. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those things too, where um, it's pretty hard to look back historically 
and see successful civilizations that mm. didn't at least uh, consume some animal products. And uh, sure. I'm not saying, I mean, I, I know some vegetarians that have stayed healthy for decades, uh, but at the same time, I know they also have some, uh, some issues, uh, dietary issues where they need to be really careful about supplementing to make sure they get all the trace elements, etc. And for us meat eaters, it's a whole lot easier because we've got our animals doing the hard work all day, collecting up those nutrients for us and uh, mm. delivering delivering them to us in a tasty package. Mm. Do you, um, what kind of weather do you have there? <laughs> weather? What's your weather like where you are? Uh, so yeah, it's fairly moderate. Uh, you know, we're right down in the South Pacific mm. and well. uh, yeah, yeah, our temperatures are, they st I mean, we can get snow in the winter, but usually only a couple of days a year. Hmm. Uh, where, where we are in Christchurch is at sea level, so there's not a lot of snow. And our summers, yeah, they're, they're warm enough. Um, I always, you probably talk in Fahrenheit, uh, here, here we talk in uh, centigrade. centigrade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we so we get up, uh, Christchurch will get up to high 20s, 30 uh, centigrade. degrees centigrade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, t I'll take a stab. It's probably something around 90-something yeah. Fahrenheit, I guess. Yeah. We've had uh, three months of almost 100 every day here. Just been like, whew, yeah. just really hot. But it's starting to starting to cool off, you know, it's starting to, which is yeah. always nice. Now, your book, um, the COVID-19 book, uh, this was co-authored by your wife, Samantha? Or no, different? it's a different one. So, yeah, it's a, that's yeah, what so I thought. Sam's, yeah, I looked at the title. Yep. It's a different one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, no, the COVID-19 fraud and war on humanity was a, an essay that I published last year with um, Dr. John Bevan-Smith. Oh. Uh, he's based, based up in Auckland. And John had tried to launch legal action against the New Zealand government. Hmm. And the whole thrust of his case was that the SARS-CoV-2 particle, the alleged virus behind COVID-19, doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So the two of us were working together and we submitted, um, I helped John and his team submit a 500-page document to the New Zealand courts. Mm. Uh, no, well, sorry, it was about 230 pages with 500 references uh, laying out the case for why the COVID-19 situation was completely fraudulent there was no virus at all yes sir and we but the court wouldn't accept it they wouldn't even let the case in the door because really? they know that if yeah wow. they, i think they know that if this gets in front of a jury it could be big trouble for them because we can actually show yeah the people uh in a public arena the, the case for why the virologists have uh just basically deceived people yeah. for, a, for a long time so, the, so so Sam's work and Lanka and Cowan and Kaufman and all these people, Volmer, who's working on this, um, would you, excuse me, <coughs> started last night, uh, would you say that you would have a sculptory, you know that word, I, I watch movies so I know that word, but a sculptory is kind of like when you have the goods and you could put that to a jury and you could prove that there is no virus. Do you feel like after all this research, then you have that. You can prove that in a court. Absolutely. And I think what happens, Patrick, is that um, someone like yourself, 
has the patience to listen to the arguments, to go beyond the dogma that mm -hmm. we've all been subjected to for decades, our entire lifetimes about germs and viruses and stuff, mm -hmm. and, and just think logically through the process from step one uh, to the finish. And I think what tends to happen is that uh, most people are unaware of the discussion for a start. So they say they've never heard of this thing before. Right. Viruses might not exist. Right. And the next problem is, of course, is that nobody uh, in the mainstream and certainly not in the uh, medical uh, establishment, none of them want to give a platform to this kind of thing because it could absolutely bring down uh, uh, huge aspects of the medical system and the pharmaceutical industry. So, yeah, I think it is. It's um, We find that when people are given the opportunity to, to listen and, and hear what's happened, then it's, it's a lot easier to uh, convince them that there are major problems with this whole uh, hypothesis about viruses and how they uh you know cause illness which seems to be completely fallacious so hmm. yeah but anyway what happened was that we couldn't um get this case the statement into, of claim into got rejected wow. couldn't even get into the court so wow. that got rejected um three times and each time we just tried to modify it a little bit to get it through the door but the the judges kept refusing so so instead we took um the best parts of the statement of claim and we turned it into an essay which was the COVID fraud and war on humanity uh, which is available for free on Sam's web website DrSamBailey.com oh, cool. cool that's free yeah. that's and people could really get geeky and read that and understand it yeah, yeah. It, it that one really got around the world which was great um, because we, we lost track once it had gone out about 250,000 times uh, mm. And by that stage, it was appearing on other websites. It got translated into other languages. And so, yeah, that's why we did that, just to at least show the public the case that had been built up that the courts were refusing to hear. So, and the good news is we are probably about a week away from releasing the next essay. And this one is not only about the COVID fraud, but this is a complete dismantling of virology uh, the last hundred years Whoa. that the um, public have been subjected to. And so much of it comes down to, and we've demonstrated this, is that they just don't follow the scientific method. They don't do controlled experiments. They don't show that these results that they're producing couldn't just be produced anyway. You know, and this, this includes everything, whether it's the you know, genomics, PCR, culturing, all of these things, we can show that they haven't done the control experiments. So they've got no grounds whatsoever. And we've tied in, what's been really useful has been Christine Massey's work mm -hmm. because a lot of people think that she just goes around asking the same question to all of these institutions around the world, but she's actually asked quite a few different questions. And some of the stuff she's given us is absolutely incredible. Essentially, admissions that they have no evidence whatsoever that the evidence that they've been presenting to the public, not only in the last two years, it dates back far further than this. So it's been really great to tie in that kind of stuff and show that this is not just universities and the CDC 
but it's all of these other health ministries around the world, mm-hmm. um, the UK Health Security Agency, all of them, oh, wow. none of them can come up with the, the answers to show us that they've been following the scientific methods. So I think, you know, it, it's an interesting time because I think virology didn't probably want to be in the spotlight. Mm. It's been quietly going about its business, right. you know, getting its funding and all this kind of stuff. And now more and more people are saying, well, well I want to have a look inside, open that door, show me what these guys are doing. And people are realizing it's a scam. Yeah. So you, 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 I suspect then you think that this COVID thing could be a real blessing, you know, as we look back someday and say, wow, without the COVID thing, we never would have got this out. Never would have got it out. I think so, you know, because, yeah. yeah, I think we have to take everything that comes our way as as an opportunity. And, you know, for us, when I got out of medicine in 2016, and I think I was, I was probably half awake at that stage mm-hmm. to what was going on. <laughs> and I actually had no intention of having anything to do with medicine ever again. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of 2019 start of 2020 i was like man there's something going on here <laughs> sam and i were just looking at the it's situation like, Wait a minute. and whoa yeah and then we for both of us it we moved from that half awake camp to the fully awake camp hmm. and uh it's we're really excited now because we're sharing the knowledge with other people and showing them that there is there are so many misconceptions about health not only related to germ theory, but to a whole lot of other stuff as well. And I think, like you say, COVID nineteen's been that um, yeah. that that opportunity to to expose this kind of stuff. And I think if um, if they hadn't locked people down and done all these crazy things, uh, it would be less likely that people would be willing to listen mm-hmm. to how preposterous these things are. And uh, yeah, I think to be honest, I think they've they've overplayed it with COVID nineteen. It's woken up way too many people, and now we're we've hit a tipping point. And you you probably noticed even within the health freedom people that there's a bit of a rift developing at the moment. And it's interesting from our point of view because, as you know, the, the Baileys, Stephen Lanker, Tom Cowan, Andy Kaufman, mm-hmm. Amanda Volmer, Kevin Corbett, Mike Stone, we've all stayed, you know, and all these other great people. We've stayed consistent since 2020. Hmm. We've we have not changed our position. We've said that this is completely bogus. There's no virus. There's nothing contagious. Whereas you can see other people now are starting to kind of shift positions and they're sort of saying, "Oh, well, maybe there's a bit of terrain theory and a bit of germ theory going on. Oh, I see. Maybe some some viruses don't exist and others do. And uh, yeah. I think it's yeah, it's really forcing people to play their hand and. You know, we've seen a number of the the big names in the health freedom movement having to confront this issue now, which I think is really good. Sure. Because, sure. yeah, because it's just been it's been kept in the dark. I think what's happened is that a lot of the health freedom people are obviously subject to censorship, but within that group, our group's censored. You know, we're at the different um, at the extreme end of the censorship. Not only are we completely banned off all of the big tech. <laughs> But even within the conversations that go on within the freedom community, we get censored. Like so, really? there, there's a lot of 
Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. There's a lot of groups, um, even groups that Sam and I are part of, where we don't really have free speech within those groups. Wow. And I'm not going to name names because a lot of them are doing doing pretty good work. But it's very interesting that um, they have directed the conversation away from the germ theory and virus hypothesis. I should I shouldn't even call it theory. You know, it's not a germ theory. It's a germ idea or model, just like the the virus model. And um, yeah, now we're we're kind of um, we're hitting a point where people can't hide from this argument. Too many people are aware of it, mm-hmm. and I, I see it's interesting because a lot of the health freedom people, their own followers, are starting starting to say to them, "Hey, what's what's what, happening? Yeah, is, what's um, happening? Are you into this thing, or what's the deal? Is there a virus? Right? Can you catch something? Well, totally. And people, as you know, are aware. They're saying, "Oh, yeah, there's something passing around. There's something contagious." and a lot of the public now are saying, well, I know about the Rosenauer experiments in, in 1918, the Spanish flu. They couldn't mm-hmm. make anything transmit. And I've been watching the Ka- Tom Cowan and Andy Kaufman and the Baileys, and I've been reading Mike Stone's viral- Virology. Mm-hmm. All of the stuff, people are reading the stuff, and they're saying, these guys have done the research, and they're showing that there's no such thing as contagion with microbes. Every th- single experiment they've done in history has failed. <laughs> So, now, isn't it cool? Yeah. I mean, interesting you can say that, and I know you mean it, and for what it's worth, I certainly believe it, talking, after talking to all these people, that this whole idea that we could catch something from somebody in the air, or, I don't know, swapping spit or something, it just doesn't fly, uh, does it, Dr. Bailey? It just doesn't fly. It doesn't work. No, and we've we've sort of address this on a number of different fronts just to see what's the best way to communicate this information to the public. And uh-huh. what uh, Sam and I tend to do with our research is that we take an alleged virus like chickenpox mm-hmm. and we just go back and we say, let's have a look at all of the studies that have attempted to show transmission. Mm-hmm. And they, it doesn't. It doesn't work. There's nothing which shows transmission. What they tend to do and this is whether it's chicken pox or measles. measles or herpes, anything you can think of. Now, these are all clinical conditions. We're not, de- we're not denying that. We can see that, yeah, people get spots and they sure. get fevers and all that kind of stuff. We're just saying that there's no virus. So what we do is go back and get the original papers, which everybody's citing to this day, and we look at them and say, well, hang on a minute. They, what they did was they took some fluid from a little kid who had some pox on their skin and then they injected that into some other kids or into some test monkeys and gave them a rash and then they're saying wow that's it that's the virus and we're saying wait a minute that's that's not contagion that's just injecting biological muck into another animal like a toxin or a poison or something that's being detoxed yeah, well, your body doesn't like that. That would be like doing right. a um, blood transfusion without matching the blood. So uh, potentially, if I took some blood out of my body and injected it into yours, if it's not a match, you'd get a potential horrendous reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, for some people, it can it can kill them. So, but that's not contagion. That's um, <laughs> you know, that's that's a, a reaction to having uh, a foreign biological material injected straight into your body which bypasses all of the the natural roots so so all all of these things influenza you know what was really funny Hmm. patrick 
is we made sure of this with influenza. We knew about the Rosenau studies and all of the other failed clinical studies. So Sam and I got a textbook all about influenza, 500 and something pages. <laughs> and man, it was boring. Was it? But we read the whole thing. Wow. Like, wow. To make sure there was nothing we had missed. Okay. Mm. So this is a whole textbook just dedicated to influenza, everything you can imagine about it, you know. And there's not one sentence in there that proves that you catch it in the air. It's just completely non-existent. Thousands of references, scientific papers in there. And you just think, well, how, how disingenuous is this? That they talk about it in all these chapters as a contagious condition, and yet there's not one sentence which mm. gives you a scientific study which shows how it transmits. And... Um, We've found this with everything and, you know, people think, people who look at the work we do superficially think that we're just taking a philosophical position or that's just a feeling and we're like, no, 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 this is, for us, we've spent years on this now and we've looked at thousands of papers and I know that people like um, Andy and Tom and Mike and, and co, Kevin, we've all done the same. We're all talking to each other going, my goodness, if you find the paper that demonstrates the transmission, make sure you show everyone, but none of us can find it. So what would be yeah. what would be a, a excuse me, <coughs> proof where you're demonstrating the transmission? Um, what would what would you have to do to prove that if it exists? I mean, how would you do that? Yeah. How would you do it? Yeah, so there's a number of ways you could do it. One would be just a clinical transmission study. So you could get people similar to what they did with the Rosenau experiments, where you simply bring people into proximity with each other, one with the condition, one without the condition. Uh-huh. Get them to, yeah, I mean, they, they wouldn't do this these days because they'd claim it's not ethical, etc. Uh-huh. But uh, that would be one way to do what's it. it. What's um, that, that word again? Some, Excuse me for interrupting, but Rosenauer? Yeah, so R-O-S-E-N-A-U. So Milton oh. Rosenau was the physician who was tasked with demonstrating the transmissibility uh, or alleged transmissibility of influenza. So I see. I he see. took, yeah, he took uh, all of these healthy volunteers. They were prisoners, and they were offered the chance to participate. Uh, and mm. the reward would be that get released from prison earlier if they participated. Yeah, I'll do that. Right? I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, at the time, it was, you know, this is Spanish flu. They're telling you that if you catch this, you know, you might you die. You could die, right? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And anyway, they they took these guys into wards just full of people with the uh, claimed Spanish flu. And the patients coughed in their faces. Wow. Um, sometimes they took snot directly out of their noses and injected it straight into the throats of other people. They took blood out of some of the sick people and injected it into the well people. They tried everything. They got them to sit right up close and breathe in, breathe out, just uh, for, you know, 10 minutes at a time. All of this kind of stuff come into complete physical contact with them. They couldn't transmit one case. Uh, not at all. Complete failure. Did Rosenauer admit this? Did he admit this in the paper? He did. Hmm. And... Um, he, he said that um, his, the conclusion was is that basically, well, 
we seem to know less about it now than we did at the start because there were all these presumptions that it was contagious and that it was going through the air and that you breathed it in and he said well our experiments didn't show that so yeah. it looks like we're back to square one we don't really know what's what, going what on what would here, be so. your your theory or conjecture of why people were getting sick and dying do we know with the spanish flu in with the spanish flu, yeah so this has been looked into and um you know there's been historical accounts from authors like alianor mcbean um it's worth looking up her accounts and um yeah there's a whole lot of stuff going on i mean obviously we were coming off the back of world war one uh, incredibly traumatic time. Many places around the world were subject to a, a lot of um, hardship, both physical and, and psychological. Right. There were problems with the way they were treating people. So aspirin had come off patent and the doses of aspirin they were giving to people, they thought aspirin was a wonder drug. Right. They thought, you know, if you're sick, you take aspirin. Now, the doses they were giving were around 20 times what we'd consider safe these days. Wow. Absolute mega doses. 20 yeah, so times, like a 350 milligram dose of two aspirins today. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you know they were giving, there were cases where they were giving 3,000 milligrams, so um, wow. 30 grams, um, absolutely. Uh, no, so is that 30,000? It's 30, 30 grams. 30 grams. 30 grams. Oh. 30 grams, yeah. So we're talking about these horrendous doses, which you'd never consider doing um, ever again. But so a, a lot of the guys, they were probably bleeding to death with these yeah. mega doses, mm -hmm. getting kidney failure as well with those kind of doses. Um, and obviously, too, at the time, they were doing so many experimental vaccines because they didn't know, ah. you know what was going on. So they thought, let's just try some different vaccines. And there are reports i think some of the the military guys the poor guys in the military who got very sick were being subjected to some of them more than a dozen vaccines mm. um, in a short space mm. of time and keep in mind they were all completely experimental i mean i don't think any vaccines good for you but particularly ones where they've only just invented them and then start wholesale injections uh, into people so we had that going on um you know, there's the theories with the um, increase in, yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, there's that theory as well. I don't think that would explain all of the mm -hmm. uh, deaths that were going on, but um, there's there's those um, important considerations as well. But And I think, Patrick, the other thing that people often forget is that when they look up some figures, a, a history book, and it says, wow, 20 million people died of the Spanish flu, mm -hmm. but what... What does that mean? We don't have the medical records of these people. We can't actually see how the diagnosis was made. So they could have been dying of like all different, you know, there could have been multi-factorial uh, things going on, a whole lot of different ways that people were dying. But because at the time, uh, it's we've seen a repeat basically in the last with years, COVID, right? With yeah. COVID. Yeah. Every oh, everyone's dying of COVID nineteen, yeah, yeah. and I mean the public can see. If, if you and I were writing a, an account of what was happening in the last two years, we'd say, no, 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 these, these people, some of them are having road traffic accidents. You know, they're crashing their motorbike, um, sure. you know, and I wonder that way. I, and then I guess we don't know, but I wonder if even back then there was a way uh, that they were getting paid extra to say that 
we don't probably know like they were here, right? The hospitals and everything. Yeah, well, I think um, the problem with something over 100 years ago is that we know, and this is not just with medical matters, it's with everything, yeah. is that history gets scrubbed and they write <laughs> they write it things make- that weren't <laughs> true. And, and then you're at school and they give you the history book and they go, here's what happened. And you're like, oh, I see. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's not until you smarten up and look into things and say, "Well, how did they, how did they know that twenty million people died of exactly the same thing?" Yeah. And uh, yeah. it makes no sense. So, yeah, I mean, we really need to revisit much of the historical uh, accounts of things like the Spanish flu because the, yeah, the if you look up Wikipedia or one of these um, disinformation sites, it's this. It's going to put you, you know, completely on the wrong track. Really something. Dr. Mark Bailey is with us, the uh, husband of Dr. Samantha Bailey, who's been on the show, and uh, he's doing some great work, as you can hear. Stay right there, sir, and then we're just going to take a break, and we're going to promote a product or two. Is that okay? This is how we make our living here, and uh, this is a great product. It is hydrogen. Hydrogen? Recently, Dr. Al Dannenberg, who's healing from cancer, said this about hydrogen. Can I interject one thing? Whatever you want. Just about molecular hydrogen. It is an amazing technology or research. It's got over 15 years of clinical studies. It is part of my protocols. I use molecular hydrogen in high concentration. I use it in water. There are great studies with all kinds of diseases, like some of the doctors that were on your commercial that were speaking, without a doubt, it is the best discriminating antioxidant around. And it is all biologically normal. Our body uses hydrogen for almost every metabolic pathway. There is interesting research for cancer patients with molecular hydrogen. There is a very strong indication that it can be beneficial, so I use it. You know, cancer Hmm. is a disease of metabolic dysfunction and mitochondrial dysfunction. That's fascinating technology. We've been using ours for three years now. If you'd like to get one, go to oneradionetwork.com. Use promo code ONERADIO for a 20% discount, lifetime warranty, one year, no questions asked, money back guarantee for one year. Promo code one radio, 20% off hydrogen browns gas machine right now on oneradionetwork.com. Yeah, it's a really interesting technology. We make water, so you can bubble the water, and it's got that the fourth phase of water, you know, the Gerald Pollock kind of stuff. It's a expanded water, so you drink that, and then you breathe the, the gas, the browns gas. You have a cannula. Mine's about a 25-footer, so I rebound and uh, do yoga and work on my screenplays and do whatever, right? Just let's do it a lot. I think you'll like it. There's something magical going on. I mean, I can't tell you. I'm not going to make any claims that on this or that. I'm still crazy as a loon, so be careful. You could do it and just get as crazy as me. And uh, but I, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a great great technology uh, I just feel better doing it so check it out you might like it uh, and the promo code is one radio and it's a uh, uh, 20% for one radio discount and a lifetime warranty and a one year no questions asked money back 
warranty. When's the last time you had a company said, you know, if you don't like it after 10 months, just send it back and we'll give you the money. That's pretty confident in, in what you're doing. Previously on our show, we talked to the now legendary Dr. Dietrich Klinghart, and he mentioned sulfur. He's a fan. The conditions in our world and our environment are changing so dramatically that people need to have a whole host of self-help mm-hmm. tools and methods. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm very uh, thrilled about your your version of MSM. It's a, it's the right way to go. You know, sulfur is is part of most of the detox enzymes, and, and the critical part that is right now we have a much much higher need of of healthy sulfur than we had even ten years ago. And so you're, um, I followed your work a little bit. You know that you're you're on the right track with what you're what you are uh, promoting. Well, Dr. Klinghart, we've heard from thousands of people over the year how they really love this product. You can click and order our Pure Sulfur, three prices: United States, Canada, and worldwide, right here. Or email me, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com for a discount for more than four pounds. Pure Sulfur, one of the few places where you can get this product. OneRadioNetwork.com Virtually all other sulfurs out there, Amazon and other places, they have silicone dioxide. And the reason they do that is because they put it in these machines, you know, to make capsules, and they use the silicone dioxide to make the capsules. And it's just not, it doesn't like it. It's an adjuvant or a tag-along, whatever you want to call it, and it's not happy. So get the pure stuff. It costs a little bit more, but yeah, you'll, you'll remember more of your dreams. You can detox stuff coming out, and just pretty cool. Sulfur in our, on our website. Speaking of detox, this is one of our favorite things to do every night before bed is jump in our far-infrared sauna. It gets really hot. And it is a far infrared technology that is made in Taiwan at a medical university. It's won several awards. And if uh, China doesn't overtake Taiwan and shut them down, we'll, we'll probably still have our, our sauna. I shouldn't even said that out loud. I'm, I'm going to rewind that and erase that. Don't say that out loud. No, it'll be fine. It's a great, a great sauna. Uh, $1,295 delivered. Tax title license. If we sent one to the Baileys in, in New Zealand, it would probably be mm, maybe 200 more dollars. And it would come with the plug that works just properly in New Zealand. Because as you know, in the United States, we have the, the, only the right plug and everybody else has the wrong plug. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you can get it wherever you live and we ship them all over the world. Uh, the Relax Far Infrared Sauna. Let us know if you want to get one. The only way to get it at this price is to email me, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. From the Hill Country in Texas, broadcasting worldwide, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Dr. Belly, uh, thank you so much for coming on this show. It's a Wednesday morning in, in um, no, it's a Tuesday morning. In, in New Zealand, right? Tuesday morning. Boy, I've seen some photographs of where you live, and whoa, it's pretty stunning. I mean, you guys are like right on the... Are you you're near, are you near the ocean as well, you and Sam and the kids? Yeah, so Christchurch is on the uh, east coast of the South Island. So, mm. yeah, the, uh, the ocean is just a couple of kilometers away from here, and it's a really... Um, it's an amazing place because the ski fields are just a one-hour drive away wow. from where we are, and the beach is just a ten-minute drive away from where we are. So, 
it's uh, it's fairly amazing in in that regard. So yeah, and you've probably seen uh, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings, yeah, you would uh, yeah. be familiar with the landscape here. Uh, lots of um, incredible mountains and plains and. Yeah, it's uh, lakes as well. So it is. It's a um, good spot. Huh? It's a, yeah. it's a great place. Oh, some some people uh, conjecture that just being around the ocean is a little bit healthier environment. Do you think that's true? Do you think that we get something vibes or whatever from the ocean, minerals or? Yeah, I I, I personally do like being near the ocean. Uh, in my younger days, when I was uh, doing professional sport, I spent quite a lot of time in Europe and certainly more in Central Europe. Uh, after a couple of weeks, I would find, yeah, there was something something missing. I would uh, feel like I'd need to see the sea. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, then again, I found a lake would be very nice as well. Some of the beautiful lakes in Switzerland and, mm-hmm. and Italy were, um, were quite special as well. But uh, no, I do, um, yeah, I do, uh, personally, feel that it is good to to see the sea or the ocean yeah. at least once in a while. Do you guys go swimming in there? You jump in? Yeah, um, I do. Usually um, these days, it's just with the kids, and you know they get on their um, little surfboards or mm-hmm. yeah kayaks, and uh, yeah, I just go out in my my wetsuit. It is it is cold here, is like, even in the summer. Oh yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, this is. This is not Florida or California. This is even in the middle of summer. When you go into our ocean, you you need a wetsuit on. I certainly do. Because it's just that cold. Like, what do you think? It's like 50 degrees, 60? Um, Centigrade? Yeah. I'm Fahrenheit, just, rather. I'm trying to think back because oh. I used to do sea swimming and... Yeah, it's it's not warm. Like it's it's in the yeah, it might be like seventeen or sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, don't quote me on that. But it's not warm. It's yeah. uh, it's to the point where, like, if you're doing a sea swim in New Zealand, like an event, often it's compulsory to to wear a wetsuit because otherwise they end up with people in the ambulance <laughs> with hypothermia. Hypothermia. Yeah. Have you followed any of the work of Wim Hof in the? the cold yeah i do cold showers every day now i have for years it's kind of fun i just don't even miss the hot showers anymore i can um it's funny because i can do that in the summer here but not in the winter really cold right really our, cold. our groundwater gets so cold it's unbelievable because one thing i do is i i have a little brew shed where i make my own beer at home you make your beer and mm-hmm. Yeah, and like in the United States, I see a lot of the guys there have real problems cooling down the wort after they've um, hmm. done the boil, and they talk about putting ice packs and all this kind of stuff, sure. whereas here we just run run the water straight out of the ground to cool it down. It's so cold wow. that uh, you certainly don't need ice or anything like that. So, yeah, a cold shower here in winter is... It's cold. That, that's too cold. <laughs> it's just too cold. So, does uh, yeah. cold... <laughs> does cold um, do, um, move us more towards parasympathetic to relax just the opposite of what we might think is that true doesn't, it can do, doesn't yeah. Wim Hof argue yeah. that yep it can it can um, slow the heart rate right down hmm. uh, which is more of a, a parasympathetic a vagal type effect ah, so yeah. yep, that's true uh, yeah I think it's um, 
you know, it's uh, sort of Tommy John's yeah. style as well. Where cool. You just, yeah, you're looking. <laughs> and and it's, it's a very simple way to think about things, but you need to, your body does need to be tested. And we know that. If, uh, hmm. Like, for instance, we live, we live on a hill and some people who haven't been here before, they come up our steps and they're, they're short of breath. And they say, wow, this is, this is really hard work getting to your house. And for our family, we don't. Nobody notices it. You just keep you know, doing it. Like yeah. what steps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You just we our kids from when they're born are just used to going up and down steps. And yeah. uh, and again, it's that uh, that basic principle that you need to uh, challenge your body. Challenge I think your body. Temperature, it's, which you know yeah. about doing sports for years, right? Um, where you you would just have to be in a position to just keep going, right? If even when it hurts. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like I was uh, a Jew athlete, so uh, an endurance athlete, oh. and yeah, the I, I would do seven, eight-hour training days sometimes, oh. uh, running and on the bike. So yeah, yeah. it was a uh, you know though I think that was almost like going too far because mm-hmm. I was I remember when I was at my peak condition, probably in my late twenties, and I was lying in bed. Well, I woke up in the middle of the night because my heart rate had gone down into the 30s 30s and it was lift and it was lifting me off the bed like i was lying on my left side and it was causing my whole body to start rocking and at that point i thought well this is probably this is going a bit too far yeah wow yeah well it's like um we know that with exercise you you get to a certain point where the doing more exercise could actually be detrimental and sure. i did have friends who started getting heart problems uh, sort of after about 15 years of doing endurance sport their heart would go into funny rhythms um, sometimes it would you know go into these crazy tachyarrhythmias where it would be going almost 200 and yeah i did have a few friends who had those sort of problems mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah yeah you the the whole professional sport thing it's um yeah, it can almost push the body a little bit too far. Yeah, I've been doing the, uh, I think uh, Tommy Johns put it out where you hang on the bar, you know, you just hang. I've been doing that every day. Yeah. It's, I, it's maybe six months. I really like it. I mean, it's, it gets stronger. You can do it longer and longer, a couple minutes. And uh, where I only do like 20 seconds the first time I did it, you know. So I don't know what it's doing, but it's kind of fun to push yourself like that. I think so. Yeah, I think you need to do a mixture of kind of, uh, you know, resistance training and aerobic conditioning. It's definitely got to be done. And uh, I think it's, um, you know, health really comes down to some simple principles. And because, you know, people always say, well, why am I getting sick if it's not a bug or it's not a virus or whatever? Right, right, right. And I think it's really really hard for people to accept that it's, it's their responsibility. Yeah. Their, their body is their responsibility and usually it comes down to either someone's not eating enough of the good stuff so they're, they're vitamin or nutrient deficient they're eating too much of the bad stuff so either they're getting too many calories and they get overweight or they're ingesting toxins whether they realize it or not uh, whether it's uh, artificial additives in their foods or pesticides that have crept into their fruit and vegetables and sometimes even uh, animal products sure uh they're not getting enough exercise or the lastly and this is vastly underestimated 
that they have psychological discontentment and they just they just can't get into a good phase with their life and yeah. the problem with uh issues in the mind is that they they have to find a way out and usually it's through the body and it will manifest it will but, right so and um, that's where yeah. so, sorry to interrupt so there's no way of knowing is there dr bailey of how influential fear and angst and worry and all the rest of it had on people the last three years and are still having in some cases and why they were getting sick. We just know it, it happens like that, right? It happens. Totally. And, um, you know, so many people have been on the edge of their seat for two and a half years now. Mm -hmm. And this is why we have dealt with this problem at the foundational level which is at the the whole bogus virus and germ theory uh, issue because until that goes the fear will not disappear mm -hmm. and you've probably seen this there's plenty of people who are against mandates they don't want to do the face mask they know that the vaccines are toxic but at the same time they're terrified that they're going to catch, catch something. something yeah yeah wow. yeah yeah or they've, the other problem now is that they're buying into this narrative about bioweapons and mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. stuff's leaking out of labs and all this stuff. And it, again, it buys straight back into the fear narrative and this type of fear will manifest and it manifests on a group level with the kind of madness that you see of the crowds and it will manifest at an individual level which will be physical ill health. Uh, mm -hmm. So... Yeah, we really, um, it's it's one of those things where I think once people get it, that contagion's a myth and that they don't have to worry about these microbes. It's a big deal. The microbes. It's huge, right? Yeah, Ooh, yeah. Man. And, and also embracing the fact that these, the microbes and everything around us, it's here to keep everything in balance, you mm -hmm. know, like, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know, but they've tried to do these experiments with animals where they do a sterile birth with a cesarean. They keep them away from all microbes. They keep them in these containment units, 100% free of microbes. And those animals, they're dead within a few weeks. Wow. They, they can't survive. Wow. They're, they're just finished. And uh, hmm. I mean, it's, this, this is what's incredible is that the, the microbes all around us they're actually here to help us. And this narrative that they've developed, which is generally they say, well, most of them are okay, but some of them are really bad and they right, right. come after you and, and Isn't attack it you. interesting how you hear that along with the virus and the bacteria. You know, they're not all bad, but there's some that are good. And so folks just have a hard time going all the way, don't they? Yeah, and I think there's two, um, and we need to make the distinction. What we say is that, um, of course, um, the bugs exist. There's bacteria and there's fungi, etc. But we say that viruses don't exist. That's completely made up. That's a complete misunderstanding. Uh, because the, the whole idea with viruses, the, the word means poison, literally. Mm. And I, I don't um, have much sympathy for people trying to say that viruses are something else, that, um, oh, no, they just pass around and they don't cause problems for everyone and stuff. That's not 
what the original definition was. The original definition relates to a disease-causing particle, you know, not a particle that's transmitting around with some other function. So I think, um, yeah, just to be clear on that, that we say viruses don't exist as described, but bacteria do exist and um, fungi do exist, but they are here to do their role, which is to keep life on our planet moving forward. And, you know, we have, we walk around with, um, uh, I think in your terms, it would be about two, two pounds, I think, um, of these bugs really? inside us at any one time. I mean, it's a lot, isn't it? And you think without those bugs, you'd be dead within a, a very short time because they're working away, they're helping you digest things and get vitamins into your body. And and there's bugs all over your skin. Uh, they serve protective functions as well for us. They're just uh, absolutely everywhere. So it's this beautiful symbiosis of how everything works. We're all connected. And I think even with a, a human body, it's pretty hard to say where it ends and where it starts because... Mm. You, know, you could say, well, what's what's the human part and what's the the microbial part? But it's it's all working together. It's all the same. It's beautiful. So, do you think there's ever a case, or ever is a loaded word, but where you'd want to go in and try to kill parasites or bacteria? Yeah, well, parasites are something different are they? Uh, because they, they, by definition, they are supposed to be, you know, causing a problem for the host. But it's very, very curious. Mm. Um, yeah, we've started looking into this more and more often because parasites don't really seem to affect healthy people. And we know that in the third world, parasites are a major problem, but the, the people they affect tend to be malnourished. They tend to live in toxic um, environments mm. and there's all these other problems going on. And I mean, this is, this is not unique to humans. Um, you see it with plants as well. You know, why do insects attack a plant? Often it's not because, um, you know, the insects are just uh, hungry and they decide that's the plant I'm going to eat. There's often something wrong with the plant, like it's not healthy. And nature's decided that it's time for it to go. Time to go, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if, um, you know, if uh, when I was in clinical medicine, uh, I was not really seeing parasites in people who were otherwise healthy. I saw it in some um, of the people who were in the poorer communities and had many problems going on with lifestyle factors, and you'd, you'd definitely see, see parasites in them. So, yeah, but I think what it needs, Patrick, is far more investigation into everything like uh, malaria, mm. all types of uh, the worms that we see, all of these other parasitic in infections because... There, there's probably something much more profound going on. Like uh, the parasite has got a definite role to play mm -hmm. and it may be that it's there to clean something up, which, and without the parasite, we, we could be even in bigger trouble. Right. And it, I've seen similar with um, things like uh, listeria in milk. It's, it's actually, you get more listeria in milk when you get more pesticides in the milk. Hmm. So that's quite interesting. Yeah that the maybe and we think oh the people they drank the milk they got sick and then they blame it on the bacteria that happened to be standing nearby but you know perhaps the bacteria was there trying to clean things up trying to clean up the environment and and the same issue with um 
mouldy houses. It's not the mould that's the problem. There's some sort of toxin in the house, and the mould is the clean-up crew, basically. Oh, the mould is cleaning things up, just like, and like in pneumonia and things like that. Totally, yeah, huh. yeah. It's um, and and people blame the mould and say, "Oh, I've got a mouldy house. I just need to spray the mould and kill it and all that kind of stuff and put some more chemicals in." But it's it's going about it the wrong way. What we need to do is look at why the mould is there in the first place. And with a lot of modern building materials, it's all of the chemicals and toxins that are leaching out of the materials. And uh, the cleanup crew is is taking the blame, unfortunately, for, for the problem. Yeah. We had a bow biologist on our show years ago, and he said that all sheetrock, mostly around the world, they're just, it's engineered to mold. They're just engineered to mold. And they, they've got new stuff now that you can do. I think it's... Um, hmm, out of my consciousness the word but it's um oh it, it's what the great wall of china is made out of and they're making sheet rock now that doesn't mold so you can get, you know get creative yeah and there's there's a whole lot of um building materials it's funny because a lot of the older building materials are better uh, you know the, the the classic kind of timber and mm-hmm. uh brick and all that kind of stuff and yeah, I, I think we'll probably see once people catch on to it, there'll be a resurgence in things like earth bricks and moonwood and yeah. these products yeah. that um, we can live in harmony with and, and not uh, not get sick from. I, I know several people over these past two and a half years that probably they got the sickest, they said, that they've ever been. I mean, they thought they were going to die, right? I know one lady, I think it was the end of, 2019 before this whole thing exploded right at the beginning was it 20 i got lost i don't know was it 2021 whatever but she told me and i know her well that she thought she was going to die and then i've had Mm -hmm. other people during these couple years that just really really experienced so what do you suppose there's no way of knowing everybody's so different but do you think these are just detox protocols the people when they got sick during this COVID thing yeah and I think firstly obviously everyone wants to blame the um the virus a, a virus you know and, and that's what they've been led to believe and what we've done is systematically go through all of the scientific evidence and show that that's that's not the case it's completely um you know not backed up by any of the evidence but I definitely hear what you're saying that um yeah, we, we found it funny because uh, many of us in the no virus position mm-hmm. have not been sick in the last three years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's incredible, isn't it, that um, it's almost like, yeah, the people that didn't buy into the whole thing didn't, um, didn't fall ill in any way, whereas the people that have been worried that something's going to, to get them have said they've experienced these bouts of um, severe illness. But... I mean, there's so many, as we talked about before, there's so many reasons um, with diet, exercise, and crucially, psychological factors. Mm -hmm. And I think, to be honest, I mean, the last couple of years, I've seen people who are very strong just completely break. They're broken now. Really? Wow. Yeah. I think for some of them, it was the, the mandates and what they had to do to keep their jobs. Uh, for some people, like I had some, you know, friends who 
they were adamant they weren't going to get this toxic shot. They said, well, there's no way of no doing way. it. Right. And then some, something happened, like um, they, there was a family wedding or there was some event on and they worked out that they couldn't go unless they got the um, the jab. And they unfortunately, they gave in. They they got double jabbed. And since that time, they've just seemed completely, completely broken. So, yeah, I think it's... um. Unfortunately, I think the stress that people have been under in the last two years has uh, manifested for a lot of people in physical illness. And uh, and obviously they mistake it as some new entity going around because that's that seems to be the easiest thing to blame it on, even though it can't be backed up with the science. And it's understandable, too, because we've had probably lifetimes, if you believe in reincarnation, of believing in something could get us, right? So I really, you know, I don't criticize these people because I, it's, it's just hard to let go of something like that, right? I caught the cold. I caught the flu. I caught this. It's, it's, it's tough. It's a big one. It's like a religion, right? It's like a religion. And I think the, the key word you used in there, which we have to get rid of, is it. And... Uh, this is, this is actually not a new concept. And what's been fascinating for us in the last couple of years with the research we've done hmm. is you go back through historical accounts and you find these characters like um, Bouchamp, Bouchamp, who I've heard mm-hmm. of, who, yep, who promoted terrain theory. And Montague Levison was another one. He was a, a doctor who was very outspoken. And you see them saying to people, there's, they basically say, there's no it. There's no it's not the correct yeah. there's just no, there's no it, no, it. <laughs> no. no you get you get sick but um th- there's not an it like if if i get sick if mark bailey gets sick and if patrick timponi gets sick mm-hmm. it's not because there's an it um we both did something uh which our body wasn't happy with and now we're having a healing crisis the body's trying to correct and that manifests as symptoms but unfortunately the medical system calls these symptoms the disease when in fact it's the body's way of trying to heal so when you're you know got a runny nose or some diarrhea uh, in mainstream medical terms they try and classify these symptoms and then they call it a disease which is the it the it yeah whereas nature doesn't care for that nature doesn't care for man's labels that we're inventing and trying to classify things Nature is just looking for a way to correct the problem. So instead of looking at these things like specific disease entities, we have to look at them and say, what is what is the body trying to do? Yeah. It's uh, trying to heal. It's doing the best it can. And instead of covering up these symptoms with drugs and other things, we need to look and say, how can we help the body get to, get to the end point, which is back to perfect health again? And... You know, I think uh, people should aim. Their aim should be 100% health at all times. That should be the aim. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's really disappointing to see people saying, oh, you know, oh, my knee, my knee's no good. I can't walk. Or, oh, I get this chronic kind of pain in my jaw or in the back of my neck. Or, you know, I get diarrhea once a week, all this kind of stuff, you know. And they seem to accept that this is just something they're going to have to do. 
maybe they pop a few pills to, to cover up the symptoms and and what we try and communicate is that's that's a really bad idea because hmm. your body's telling you there's something not quite right and it, it needs a little help but and we, we even find ourselves like sometimes we make a new discovery with something that we're doing and we cannot believe that we didn't see it earlier no, right. like, like how did we <laughs> how did we miss this I can't, believe. <laughs> I can't believe it yeah yeah and it can be something really simple like um uh, I think last month we're, we're pretty good with the food we eat in our house, mm-hmm. very organic. Mm-hmm. We, we check where it comes from. But there were a couple of products and, and Sam just read the labels and and we were like, how did we miss this? You know, there were a couple of additives that we really didn't realize that we were still eating, you know, these chemicals and uh, boom, we don't eat that stuff, um, you know, that, that went, it was out the door. Mm-hmm. I think it was like a type of biscuit or something like that. And we thought it was pretty innocent uh, until we actually looked at it. And then we thought, well, hey, if you're going to um, have a biscuit, then you're better off just making it yourself at home and knowing exactly what went into it. So, yeah, and even, um, I mean, you know, if we go back two, three years, we were using water out of the tap. And, you know, we and we were told in New Zealand that our water is completely pure, you know, yeah. it's coming off the mountains and all this kind of stuff. But it's just not. we realized, no, 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 it's not. <laughs> it's not. You have to. And, and now we don't touch that. We have a four-stage filtration system, sure. including reverse osmosis, and there's nothing going into our bodies now apart from this really, really pure water. So it's, you know, it's those It's always something, things. right? We just keep doing the learning, learning more. More things, and yeah, and it and it takes you, effort because what about people, what about go go ahead, sir, go ahead, sorry, yeah, yeah, and it uh, I was just going to say, Patrick, it takes you know it takes some effort because everyone wants just something simple. Sure. They want to go and hear a doctor say, "Here's the problem, and here's the pill. Take this, this is take all you have to do." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and because it's really hard. You have to go through your pantry. You have to look at the water you're drinking. You have to think about the exercise you're doing. You have to think about your work environment, the people that you're around, um, the city that you live in, the potential EMF exposures that you've got. Uh, all of these lot things of stuff. you have to yeah. take a lot of stuff and keep and keep keep on it. It's a, it's an ongoing thing, but it's really it's so rewarding because you get to the point where you're very in tune with your body and your family's health, and you're you're not sitting there because. The problem for most people is that when they do get sick, they're scratching their head and they're going, oh, what's going on here? I need to see a doctor and the doctor will work it out for me. And I can tell you that 99% of the that time, you're going the wrong direction. <laughs> you, you're doing something, you're doing something wrong. Um, and people have different ways of thinking about this. Um, Sam and I think of it more like um, your going against the laws of nature or the laws of God, uh-huh. which you know, they, these are not these are not negotiable things. They they're for eternity. We we have them and uh, if we respect them, it's a beautiful thing to live in harmony with. It's not something to be annoyed about or, you know, worried about because it's your friend basically. Yeah. Once you understand this um, this kind of higher, more profound way of thinking it's it's your, your health follows on and uh you won't get what people have been experiencing in the last two years as you say which is these you know potentially awful bouts of illness where they really feel something's got them but 
there's no something <laughs> there's yeah. no it there's no it there's no there there um do, do you think that um big picture that we're always trying to create an environment in our body that we can eat most anything as long as it's clean or organic and these allergies and things you think these can be overcome with the terrain gets more in balance yeah well these allergies are definitely they're, they're out of control in the western world yeah it's I mean, crazy you look at yeah you know you look at uh the kids these days and so many of them have skin problems and gut problems it's completely out of control and i think it's there's a number of factors one is that the the vaccines that they're subjecting them to are bad news and you know i know because i was trained in the mainstream medical system and you're taught just to give these vaccines out to everybody unquestioning and you're told that anyone against them is crazy mm -hmm. uh, they're a surefire thing it's all been proven in the science and then you you look through the literature and you find out this is not established they never established that these things are effective at all and by all accounts they appear to be quite dangerous and uh, causing a whole lot of health issues uh, particularly in kids these days and you know one of the big things with the increase in allergies that we've seen in children was their mass vaccination campaigns that started uh, in the United States and around the world in the early 1990s. Uh, and luckily, when you and I were kids, there was far, just far a few, fewer. Yeah, yeah, just a few. There were just a few, yeah, yeah. And they were not good either, but at least we didn't get too many. <laughs> uh, whereas these days, you know, the, the kids have followed them and uh, getting shot up with the, the heavy metal and other um, toxic constituents in these jabs. So. Yeah, there's this problem. And I think there's a whole lot of other stuff too, like uh, pasteurized milk mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. is not a good idea. The process alters not only the gets rid of all the, the good bugs that are in there, like the beta-lactamase microbes, the bacteria, but it also alters the nature of the proteins and goes from natural uh, stuff to a very unnatural uh, formulation. So you've got those issues. And um, yeah, it's it's really... It's really sad to see that there's there is this massive allergy problem in the community, and the solution, according to the mainstream, is that people get put on, you know, drugs, whether they're pills, yeah. uh, uh, nasal sprays, uh, inhalers, etc., which do not address what the underlying problem is, which is that the body is trying to expel something, and by taking chemicals by taking drugs that suppress these responses the body will simply never heal and that's why you see these conditions like asthma where they, they just tell people oh you've got this for life right and you just need to take this inhaler for the rest of your life and sometimes you'll get worse so you need to take these pills and sometimes you need to go to hospital and it's it's a terrible model of health and the, the person with asthma should really be aiming to get you know 100 percent health back which is not through medications you think it's possible before we go that this could this whole thing could be the beginning of an entire implosion of the medical model that we're seeing and it's possible right i mean if enough people wake up they just don't want to do it anymore 
I think, yeah, broadly speaking, there's two possibilities mm. with what's happening because, as you know, the people that are waking up, not only are they waking up to the health stuff, Everything. but also to the financial yeah. scam, the financial system scam, the, um, the legal system scam, all of the stuff people are waking up to. And yeah. Yeah. there are people working in all of these areas. And I think we'll either see yeah, a complete kind of breakdown of the current systems that are in play because too many people won't go along with it, or I think we'll see parallel systems develop mm-hmm. where communities like ours just say, well, we're not going to be part of that. We don't, we, we'll do our own thing. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I see those broadly speaking as the um, two possibilities. And in a country like yours, which is so big, you may see states just doing their own thing yeah. um, eventually. And, uh, you know, I know that Texas is nothing like California. So, no. You know, and it will get probably more and more poles apart, and you may see yeah different systems operating in, in different parts of, of the same country. So, I think um you know whichever way we're heading, we we need to stay so positive and optimistic because we're heading we are heading in the right direction, and the the exact way it's going to pan out is is unsure. But I think there's enough there's enough movement now that this is this is unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this idea of a parallel universe. I mean, in in essence, <laughs> pretty much what we do now, right? Like our universe is mine, and and uh, Mark Bailey's universe is is different. It's a completely unique, right? And it's parallel with Patrick's and other people. And then we may choose to, you know, interact and hang out and talk and whatever. And it's kind of like. But just it always is unique, though, right? Isn't it? Our universe is totally unique. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Our state of consciousness, right? Hmm. Absolutely, and um, that—that's the beauty of it all. Is that they—they they can never take that away. So, no. as much as people buy into these narratives, uh, where they'll—they'll they'll never take away that uh sense of freedom that um that we all have and uh, it's definitely it's a, a way of living it's a way of orientating yourself to this universe so yeah no it's um i i think patrick you know you and i would have never um had this conversation had this uh covid19 fraud yeah, not we, been launched, we, we, so. we wouldn't even know each other or or have your wife sam bailey on we just wouldn't never would have found her right so, so that's good. I, I think we have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. So um, you're doing now. Uh, the current paper is available. The COVID nineteen fraud and war on humanity is available at Sam Dr. Sam Bailey dot com. Now you're soon to release yeah. another whole thing. No paper. Yeah. So this next essay uh, that I've written with uh, Dr. John Bevan Smith, we've decided that we need to put something in one place which completely dismantles the fraud that's been going on with virology with the virology. and we're going yeah we're going to tie in so many things not just with COVID-19 but historical um, considerations within virology we've got a lot of um, official information which probably hasn't really been seen much in public yet mm. We're going to break down the original claims that this um, SARS-CoV-2 particle exists and go right through everything with a fine-tooth comb 
showing why they are lying (laughs) and why there is no virus and there's no pandemic so yeah because as you know i mean we do everyone's doing lots of videos and interviews and all that kind of stuff but i think at the same time we do need these formal written documents that are written in scientific fashion Mm -hmm. to combat the the nonsense that's been going on Mm -hmm. for too long finally do you think that if you were ever to find yourself in a courtroom where there'd be federal court or whatever, up and up, going up the ladder, that you could convince 12 people that there is no virus. Yeah, I think we could. Yeah. And um, I think I think it would be funny oh, watching, man, great. The, yeah. watching the opposition try and cover things up because, yeah, in the courtroom, they couldn't really use big tech to censor what we were saying. And uh, it, it would be it would be interesting, yeah. I mean, as you know, it's um, wh- whether the courts are legitimate or not in, in most countries is another question. Yeah, uh, we sort of, yeah. uh, in New Zealand, we don't have a lot of faith. Um, it seems that potentially our entire uh, government and legal system here might be fraudulent as well. It seems to be a bit illegitimate. And I think... Uh, probably like that everywhere. Suggest- probably like that everywhere, yeah. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. And uh, increasingly like... Uh, I, I used equity law, um, mm-hmm. which is similar to common law. Yes, and because even though I hadn't practiced medicine for six years, the medical authorities tried to come after me earlier this year. How did they? And yeah, yeah, it was very, very curious. I, I thought this is interesting. And they were leaving, somehow they still had my, they got my phone number and they were leaving messages on my phone saying that they were investigating me or, or something. And uh, I was, um, I just I didn't even respond to them. I, I'd seen enough in the last two years to know that you don't get into the legal system, you don't hire lawyers or anything like that. So what I did was um, issue them with an equity notice, just a one-page notice that just said, you know, if you come after me, there'll be a, a you know, like suing them basically in return is, is what will happen. And uh, within 24 hours, they, they just dropped everything. So hmm. it, it was very interesting. I didn't, didn't need a lawyer, didn't need to engage. What's an equity process. notice? What's an equity notice? So equity is the highest form of law right. that we have. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, basically it's, it's saying that I'm not, you know, what they try and do with uh, citizens is bring you into this legal fiction. Yeah where they use your surname usually it's capitalized capitalized, yeah yeah yeah. and that's that's their kind of um way of bringing you into their fictional system Uh so this is like this is basically saying well i'm a living person and i'm not answering to that legal fiction that you're trying to get me to answer to and uh yeah it's from what I've seen, I mean, quite a few of us in New Zealand as doctors have done this to get the authorities off our backs, and it's it's incredibly effective. I mean, I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it in, in action. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, just a one-page note, basically, but they take it very seriously, which is good. Cool. Well, Dr. Bailey, thanks so much for coming on the show. So, uh, please give our best to your wife, Samantha, and um, her, the website is drsambailey.com. Cool. Well, have a nice day and uh, say hi to the kids too and let us know if there's anything we can do. And I'll, I'll get back with you on that 
screenplay idea I've got going on here. So maybe I think you could really be good with that. That um, sounds great, Patrick. It's been my pleasure to talk with you and I uh, hope to talk again soon. Thank you, sir. Take care. Dr. Mark Bailey, Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Cool guy, right? Really nice. Well, um, we will see you in um, tomorrow, Wednesday, with Fred Dashevsky and the real world of money. And uh, that'll be at 10 o'clock tomorrow, Wednesday, um, the uh, 7th of September. So I love you all very much. Thank you for your ongoing support. Really appreciate it. Let me know if I can help with anything. And we'll see you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.